Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince, they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com/upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. A lot can happen in the next 3 years. Like a chatbot maybe your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri-term medical plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly 3 years in some states with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at uh1.com. Welcome to the Storytelling Lab, where we break down how to get to the heart of your story and the hearts of your audience to leave the greatest impact possible. And now here's your host, a filmmaker and competitive storyteller, Rain Bennett. What's up my beautiful people? Welcome to another episode of the Storytelling Lab where we break down the art and science of storytelling. This podcast is brought to you by Magnanimous Rentals cameras, lenses, lights and much more at the lowest rental rates online. Magnanimous Rentals every order submitted at magrents.com that's m a g r e n t s.com every order submitted receives a discount. Inexpensive production essentials shipped right to your door magrents.com go magnanimous. Listen, I've been working with Magnanimous Rentals for a few years and I love it. I can't tell you how awesome it is to have a production trip which I travel at least once a month or so and I pack my bags and my luggage with my clothes, I hop on my plane, I reach my destination, I get to my hotel or my Airbnb and boom, my equipment is there waiting for me nicely packaged up. My cameras, my lenses, tripods, lights. I didn't have to travel with any expensive or heavy equipment and it just made everything a breeze. I do my shoot I knock it out of the park, I pack the equipment back into the packaging it came in, and I stop by UPS or FedEx on the way back to the airport and boom, it's back on its way to Magnanimous Rentals. Super easy, super affordable. And listen, if you have a production in-house for your business and you can't justify purchasing camera equipment, this is a perfect affordable alternative for you guys. Rent the equipment that you need and then send it back. Magnanimous Rentals, go check them out at magrents.com. And as always this podcast is brought to you by 6 Second Stories where we help you maximize your impact through short form storytelling. So every time a new storytelling medium comes out, it generally takes us a few years to figure out how to use it well. And by a few years I mean a few decades. You guys remember what it was like when television first came out, right? Of course you do. You're that old. 
actually, better yet, let's go back to film. You were alive in the early 1900s, and you realize that it took a while for film to really hit its stride. And then all of a sudden in the 20s and 30s, oh, we started doing some really cool things and stopped trying to just do theater in a film format. Television, geez, we didn't get to what I would consider the golden era of television until like the the early 2000s, Sopranos and, and Breaking Bad and these kind of like really, you know, dense cinematic episodic series that we all all were watching and talking about game of thrones just ended that was a huge one and so i grew up with video games as i'm sure many of you did but there was not a lot of opportunity when we were kids for there to be much story right when i was a kid it might be you're driving a car around a track or you're just trying to jump on top of somebody's head or maybe punch them Legend of Zelda on the Nintendo finally really started to weave in, you know, some sort of narrative. And, you know, it's funny, you know, parents would say that, oh, you know, you're, you're never going to have a life. All you want to do is play video games. Now it's like a legitimate job. You can, a legitimate lifestyle and career path. But a lot of why it's continued to take off and continue to grow is because the video games these days, it's not your, it's not your 90s kids video games. Nuh-uh. So... It is the new, as far as I'm concerned, it's the new frontier for storytelling. It is not going anywhere and it's only growing and there's so much you can do with it. So today my guest is Sarah, <laughs> I did it, I, I had a joke plan and I ruined it. Let me try that again, rewind. So today my guest is Susan O'Connor. I was gonna say, don't call her Sarah Connor, uh, which is... You know, you'll get that when you listen to the whole episode. And if you haven't seen Terminator, stop what you're doing. Go watch it. One and two. You can forget all the rest. And then come back to the podcast. So Susan O'Connor is a writer and a storyteller for video games in the video game industry. She's worked in different in different uh, media, but this is where she is now. And it allows her to combine her love of art and storytelling and I'm super excited about it because I don't have a lot of experience in this department so literally I was nerding out and just trying to learn as much as possible and I hope that you also receive some of the benefit of me being educated but she says a lot of awesome things about games and I realized that games and stories are very similar especially if we do them well and it really comes down to hey guess what connection empathy You know, this interconnectedness and interactivity that happens when people are kind of working together and doing this this dance, this pas de deux, right? This dance for two. And so in her world, it's like the storyteller and the writer and the people creating the games and the people playing it. They create this world for this for the for the gamer to experience. And it's this really cool dynamic and it's a whole new way of storytelling. And I think that when you listen to this podcast, I want you to think about, it will make you think of new ways you can tell stories, and I really want you to hone in on that and try to focus on how you can utilize interactivity in your storytelling with your audiences. But you know what? I'm going to shut up because who you came to hear is the expert, Susan O'Connor, talk about storytelling in video games. So... Here she is. Check it out. 
Susan, welcome to the show. Oh, thanks, man. I'm glad to be here. Yeah, I'm so glad that you're here. We uh, we did chat a little bit. I'll go ahead and let the audience know we chatted a little bit beforehand, and I had to be really careful not to go off and just do an impromptu podcast when we were talking because it was like, I know, I know. yes, what about this? <laughs> what about that? <laughs> it's like the best kind of conversation. I like, know, Wait, absolutely. Did we already start? What's so happening? We're, we're going to try to conjure up that magic that we had last week today for the people. Um, right. I, I mean, I know that you're, you know, we talked about it briefly. I know that you're a storyteller uh, in various media, but I want to go back a little bit and it's a little bit of a cliche question. Um, but when did you, when do you remember being first attracted to storytelling? When did you, when did you realize, and not like you wanted to do this for a career, but the first attraction to it, when did you be like, Hey, I, I really enjoy listening and telling stories. Yeah. Um, when I learned to read, (laughs) I have always been down with stories. I mean, you know, not unique, I'm sure. But, you know, I can remember some of the kids books that I read growing up, like, you know, Madeline, the, the, that little French girl. Mm-hmm. Oh, my God. She was the smallest and the naughtiest was Madeline. I can still remember <laughs> that line. I was like, that's me. <laughs> I don't know, man. Like, I, I grew up in the suburbs. You know, my neighborhood didn't have sidewalks. So, you know, you could feel like you lived on the moon. You didn't see other people. Mm. You were really isolated. And books, stories, you know, TV shows and books really were just like a lifeline for me. And they just... You know, it was incredible. What I part of the country so I knew is my this? Whole, uh, I was outside of Atlanta. Okay. Back in the eighties. Well, yes and no. The, the the suburb that I was in was, was like, where a lot of the uh, Yankees, as they uh, said, would yes. move there when their companies transferred dads and moms down there. So, a lot of new. You know what it was like? It was like a John Hughes movie. Like sixteen-year-olds <laughs> driving to school in their BMWs. That's weird. <laughs> it was super and weird. Yeah. The southern but, um, version of a John Hughes movie, not exactly. set in Atlanta, not Chicago. <laughs> exactly. Um, yeah, but anyway, I just always loved stories. And, um, you know, I, I come from a big Irish Catholic family, and Irish Catholics <laughs> know how to talk. Yeah. So we'll gift a gab there. So Absolutely. writing and storytelling always made sense to me. You were, it was meant to be. Something like that. When, yep. did, when did you start? What's your earliest memory of, of actually writing, putting pen to paper? Um, well, I remember, it's a good question. I remember writing something that I think in my kid's mind was a book, but it was probably three pages (laughs) and it had a beginning and an end. A micro book. A A micro book. I wrote a blog post basically. Flash fiction. (laughs) (laughs) When I was 11. (laughs) Um, but what, you know, I did what it on Oh, I can't remember. I'm sure it was probably inspired by like, you know, Raiders of the Lost Ark. Yes. I'm sure it involved the nice. staff of Raw in some way. <laughs> uh, and then I remember going to a competition. And again, I use this term very loosely. This was for kids. I'm sure everyone got a participation trophy. But we had to write the last chapter of a book. And the book was uh, All Quiet on the Western Front. Mm-hmm. Anyway, I wrote the last chapter and uh, my entry won. Nice. And that was the, again, you know, not, you know, not cutthroat competition, but it was the first time that somebody said, you're, you might be good at this. And that really stuck with me. Did you go to school for writing or? I did, did not. Did you study it like I, officially or did you just jump into the field? Yeah. Well, I, I, 
so I went to school here at the University of Texas at Austin, mm-hmm. um, where I now teach. So it's all come full circle. Awesome. But yeah, it is awesome. Awesome and scary because I feel like I'm still 20. But when the students <laughs> look at me, they can tell they don't think I'm 20. They're like, you're not. You're not 20. Stop trying to be 20. <laughs> yeah, secrets out, lady. Newsflash. <laughs> I have that same issue. I um, on the side, I I, tr- I teach people. I train at this little studio. Um, and we're near Duke University. And so a lot of my like students or clients are like 19 and I'm like listening to the pop songs, trying to hang out with kids. It's like, no, bro, stop it. I don't feel that old. I I I don't feel that old. Oh my gosh. Um, okay. So you're, you're at the university. Um, uh, yeah. Anyway, so I was at the university, um, and by the way, just real quickly about the students, it's so frustrating because I'll reference movies that oh I gosh, think for sure little... they've all seen. Nope. They haven't. Mm-mm. Nope. Mm-mm. When I bring up Star Wars, they're like, which one? The Clone Wars? I'm like, no, Star Wars? Star Wars. The, Luke Skywalker? <laughs> it, it, and, you know, that's a funny one because that's a very reference. When we come to talk about storytelling, like that's a very yeah. referenced movie. It's like the perfect, you know, example of the hero's journey. And so, like, I talk mm-hmm. about that a lot. Luckily, a lot of the... The last conference I did was a nonprofit communicators conference, so most of them are somewhere thirty to fifty. So like they got it, but I can imagine yeah. trying to to talk about Obi Wan Kenobi <laughs> to <laughs> to uh, to you know a twenty year old. I know it's incredible. It's shocking. Um, <laughs> anyway, so so I went to school here, and I, I I just got the idea in my head that college, which I think is a way is true, like. In college, I thought, okay, I've got the rest of my life to be practical, mm. and I just want to do what's interesting to me for now. Yeah. And that probably means life will be harder for me when I graduate than it will be for, say, a business major. But mm. hey, you know. Same. So I actually ended up majoring. I knew I wanted to be a writer, but I actually majored in art history. Mm. Okay. Just really, I loved, I loved art. And um, I thought that art history was a really interesting way to learn how to tell stories about learning how to look at things really deeply and then be able to describe in words the story that the visuals were telling, which mm-hmm. in my 20-year-old brain I thought was really smart for learning um, in case in the future I wanted to like write for theater or write for film, those same skills would apply. 100%, yeah. So that, that, that brings up a, uh, an interesting question because I, I did – get some valuable knowledge from school but most of what I got was the networking and a couple of opportunities I took a few classes but really I just started working on indie films like while I was in school but like I got my first internship through my college professor and my first actually my first paying gig with a camera it was shooting wedding videos but it was you know I was making 20 bucks an hour with a camera I thought it was the yeah. best thing ever. Um, but other than that, it was really like the field that that taught me. So it makes me think mm-hmm. of just a question when it comes to learning an art form. Let's say we're trying to, uh, you know, educate somebody or somebody that we know wants to be a better storyteller, a better writer or whatever. Mm-hmm. What do you think is the best way to enter that world? Is it learning technical skills, studying, taking courses, et cetera, or is it field time? That's a really good question. You know, there's, there's pros and cons to both. And I think the answer is to, you know, to know yourself mm-hmm. and to know what's going to help you the most. So, you know, taking classes is good for two things, deadlines 
right? Good point. And community. Yeah, yeah. So if, you, if you're the kind of person who's like can overthink stuff and second mm. guess and, and ruminate, you know, till the cows come home, like take a course and vow never to turn anything in late, <laughs> right? There's point. just something about it that kind of frees you up. I mean, I do this in my class. We'll do free writing sessions, you know, and I won't tell them in advance. I'm like, get out a piece of paper. Let's start writing. Write a story. Like no prep. Like I want them to kind of work on their their writing muscle, hundred percent. You know, and it is I a muscle. Them, yeah. Exactly. I'm like, it's gym day. It's leg day. Suck it up. Yeah. Time to write and a story. you're the coach. Exactly with a whistle. And I, I think for me that accountability is huge. Totally. To have someone else, I have one. I have, I have a column that I do weekly for a local publication. Never miss it. On time. Mm-hmm. I do I, every week, fifty two weeks a year. To try to write my own blogs, <laughs> like the next yeah. day, never like I fail miserably so many I times. Know. So, you know, exactly. I think I think th- having that structure in a in a class could be really helpful to work that writing muscle that you keep talking about. So mm-hmm. when I did set up the system so that I could perform, I just emulated what the the publication, ha- you know, what I had the the system and structure I created to hit that that weekly column. So I think that you can take that discipline and that diligence and, and hopefully apply it. But I, I 100% uh, agree with that, that having those deadlines and that discipline that kind of comes with someone else saying, hey, this is due on yep. Friday. And I definitely, definitely echo the community. That's, that's the part that I took away the most when I went to yep. school. But it's something, it's an issue I see people dealing with uh, a lot. A lot of people want to... Uh, take the courses and take all the courses and webinars and yes. all this and they never just right. get to writing. I know. Well, that's, that's the flip side of it, mm-hmm. right? It's so much more, it's funny. I was just, I was just, uh, you know, it's a lifelong struggle to become more productive and feel like you're getting stuff done in your life. And so we were just talking about this and I love this idea of like, there are uphill tasks and downhill tasks. Mm, say more about that. Right. So an uphill task is like writing the next page of your book mm-hmm. and a downhill task is checking Twitter. one is hard and one is not right Mm. but they both have 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 a momentum to them and um i think there's a lot to be said in about how like anything writing is work yeah and work is not glamorous and you've Mm. just got to like disabuse yourself of the fantasy of like we it's gonna be fun all the time like it's just it's work and you got to sit down in the chair and you got to you got to sit with it when it's not working mm-hmm. and you got to figure out what's wrong and you've got to, you know, bump up against whatever your growth edge is. You know, that's the other thing about classes that can be painful, but helpful. It's like, wow, I'm not as good of a writer as I thought I was. <laughs> but that's when you really start becoming a writer. Right. right? That's right. when you start having a body of work that maybe you hate it, but hey, it's a body of work and you got to start somewhere. Mm. Um, but to your point, you know, classes can be a crutch, too. Yeah. I mean, at some point, you just got to get out there and, and make it happen. So, yeah. again, it's I think it's knowing yourself. That's what helped me. And that in itself is a journey. Yep. To finding yourself and, like, what's your unique voice. You exactly. Know, that's, that's, that, that takes a long time for some people. It took me a while to understand, all right, number one, where am I coming from? How, how do I feel about things? But, two, like, how do I say it that's differently than the way you say it? Right. Yep. So that we can talk about the same thing and come from two different perspectives and have two different enjoyable pieces of, you know, uh, mm-hmm. of content about it. Right. Like we could both write about that thing over there and make our pieces unique. Yeah. You know? And that, that's a struggle, I think. 
Yeah, I think so. And I think just knowing or, or realizing that the whole process of finding your voice and and growing as a writer is just going to be a messy, mm-hmm. awkward, embarrassing. And that's okay. Yeah, process. it is okay. Yeah, it's. I mean, that's it's how it's process. supposed to be. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know? yeah. It's like I mean, if we're going to talk about hero's journey. You know, the moment you decide to be a writer, it's like, well, strap in, buddy. Yeah. You know, <laughs> here we go. Exactly. You know, so, get ready to fall on your face, and you know. So uh, <laughs> you will, um, <laughs> but uh, I, I was really excited to to talk with you. Speaking of kind of our unique intersections and our narrative voices, just because and I want to hear what you're up to now, but I'll go ahead and tease it a little bit with that. You uh, are a storyteller specifically for not only video games, but in the video game space right now, it's something mm-hmm. that you're really excited about that you're doing right now. I want to hear and talk about this for a good portion of the of the episode because oh. I'm just I'm excited. I know that there's so much opportunity there. It's a new uh frontier for storytelling. Mm-hmm. And it's ch- it's a changing landscape from when we were kids, right? The games totally. are totally different now. And yep. I just want to hear first of all like how you got involved with that. It seems to me knowing the, what I know about you so far, it's kind of the perfect marriage. You know, you studied art history. You've always been, mm-hmm. you know, into art. I mean, this is this is art and storytelling together, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> With a whole bunch of computer stuff thrown in. Right. <laughs> That's the part I didn't anticipate. Um, but yeah, totally. I I mean, I fell into writing for video games. But yeah, in a lot of ways, it's been a, a great fit. So the way I got started... Um, because I don't think I I look or sound like what people usually expect when they think of a video game writer, you know, for a few reasons. Um, Why? Because so, you're not a guy, or right, a guy live, a part of living it. in his mom's basement, or <laughs> <laughs> right. I'm not a guy, and I studied art history. Like, right. There's a few there's a few things on the list that like that's weird. Um, but you know, I that's what I love about video games. It's it's you'd be surprised the diversity kind mm-hmm. of uh, in the studios and of the people it, who are doing this stuff. And it's growing, right? Oh, completely. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so, yeah. So we'll talk about that. It's blowing up. I mean, last year alone, consumers spent something like thirty-seven point one billion dollars just on the software side of games. And I'm not talking about the consoles. You know, this is right. the games. So, and that's in one year. So the audience is huge. Um, and committed and it's everybody now. I mean, when you and I were growing up, I think it was more of a niche thing. Mm-hmm. You know, gamers were more like you, like you just said, right? Like guys in the basement. Um, and, but now, I mean, everybody, especially when I teach on campus, you know, my class is how to write for video games. That's it's awesome. half women. Yeah, it's awesome. And, you know, and they, they're all, um, a huge variety of people, but they've all grown up playing video games. You know, it's not a, it's not a niche yeah. thing. I mean, for them games or like movies or like books or like TV. I mean, it's all content, you know? Um, so it's not just like something that only super shy people are <laughs> you playing know, alone. Everyone's- I, I got on one of my friends one time. I haven't really played video games and don't really have an interest to when, you know, now that I'm older, I grew up with them, of course. Yeah. Um, but I used to kind of pick on my, my friends uh, about them playing. And one of my friends just kind of like, calmly said that point that you just said he was like i was like i don't understand people playing videos when they're in their 30s and he was like it's like dude but these people like grew up with video games this has been a part of their life you know their lives Mm -hmm. since they were kids and you know he he didn't like try to like argue with me about it he just said that like point i was like oh 
that actually makes a lot a lot of sense. He was like, all those kids that were playing Nintendo in the early '90s are now 30, 35, and 40, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. this is this is why it's still you know a big part of their lives. And the medium has evolved with those people so it's not like we're just you know super mario just jumping up and down in two dimensions anymore (laughs) right yeah that's it i mean that was the funny thing about games to me was that people didn't age out of it like Mm -hmm. i kind of expected to see like a big drop off around 25 or 30 you know like i kept thinking like once people hit certain life milestones they're going to stop being gamers like they're going to graduate from college they'll stop playing games they don't Mm -mm. they're going to get married and stop playing games no (laughs) they just play with their partner who also plays games see that's awesome right then they have kids well guess what once Uh those kids know how to play a game that's who you play with i mean it's what people people love playing games and and this is where i think for storytellers it's so relevant they want to keep playing games and sometimes the the complaint I hear is that they wish the content would keep up with their with the um, life stage basically of the players. Like like they're ready for more subtle storytelling. They're ready mm-hmm. for more dramatic storytelling. They're ready to kind of you know in in dramas characters suffer, and in games characters win, <laughs> right? But we need some of that suffering and that loss and that like fuller human experience for stories to really impact us. Mm-hmm. And um, adult players don't need to, you know, be king of the hill necessarily. Interesting. What's a, what's a way that you had to change your approach to storytelling because of this medium? Oh yeah. So um, I mean, I that's a let's think. How do I answer? That's a really good question. The biggest difference is that you have to learn how to share the story with the player. Mm, and and say more right about that. And by, so by that i mean so when you're a novelist or a screenwriter like you own the characters mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Un- until you hand the script off to the actors or whatever but right, like right. while you're while it's on your plate it's your baby um and they do what you want mm-hmm. and when you write a story for a game you know one of the main characters is going to do whatever he wants to do <laughs> right like when we sit down to play a game we don't go okay now I am Kratos, the god of war. I mean, no one plays as the character. They play as themselves, right? And so so figuring out how to like design a story that kind of allows for that freedom that the player wants, which is built into the experience. Like you can't expect the player to like obediently follow along whatever path you lay them on, right. you know, present to them. Like they want to explore and they want to have agency and uh, feel free. So the story's got to allow for that, but then you also want to deliver something really emotionally meaningful. Yeah. And that is a hard uh, circle to square or whatever the phrase is. Yeah, you know, yeah. it took no, me years. Oh, my God. I mean, I made every mistake in the book trying to solve this problem. But, um, you know, it can be solved. I mean, games, games in a lot of ways when it comes to storytelling are where, you know, TV was, you know, back in the 60s or for mm. film was back in the 30s. I mean... When a new medium comes along, you know, there's a lot of goofy content that gets put out, you know, like yeah. Yeah, films sure. look goofy and Mr. Ed's a goofy TV show and, you know, and early games are goofy. And it's real easy to look at these things from all these mediums and go, oh, it's for kids. Mm-hmm. It's never going to amount to anything. You know, this is dumb. <laughs> uh, but then eventually the medium grows up. The people who make the, the content, you know, sort of like learn and and evolve and get better and then suddenly it 
this new art form emerges and everyone's like, where the hell did that come from? Right, right, right. You know, I mean, from Mr. Ed to Breaking Bad, like same medium. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so, so that's what's exciting now about uh, storytelling and games. But it's it's it involves, you know, we're in this phase of like learning how to solve problems. Like, how do you share the story with the player? And right. there's ways to do it. But, you know. And and now, and I know we've talked about this before, but now we're starting to see that in television or in film, right? We talked about the Netflix mm-hmm. show, the Black Mirror movie. Uh, what was it called again? Uh, Bandersnatch. Bandersnatch, yes. Um, so what ways do you think that we're going to start? Are we going to start seeing more of that like, interaction between audience and viewer or player or participant and the medium like as things evolve do you think you know what i think is going to happen there is going to be some of that but i think i think what's going to be interesting is something else at least in the short term um you know there's this really great book uh called hamlet on the holodeck it was like written back in 99 but it's, it's still ahead of its time and this author talked about these she presented this idea that you know when a new medium comes along two things happen like uh-huh. one is People in the new medium just make a lot of garbage, like yeah, I was just yeah, saying. Yeah. You know, well-intended, <laughs> right, <laughs> trying yeah. their hardest garbage. And then the artists that are working in the dominant medium of the day, whatever it is, uh-huh. uh, look with their creative eyeballs over at what's happening over there, and they're like, that is cool. And it's not working yet, but I can but see when how... It, yeah. When... Yeah, I see where it's headed. And then they start stealing, and they start borrowing those, those techniques for their stuff. So... Like the example she gives in the book is how when film first came out, again, early films were, you know, kind of rudimentary, um, but novelists of the day really got excited about what was going on there. So if you read novels written in the 1920s, you'll see in prose form things like close ups and cutaways and things totally invisible to our eyes. Right. Because that's how we think ourselves, because we're totally steeped in this. But to a reader in 1920. It must have been like, what is happening? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Right? And so we see the same thing happening now. So, like, there's a bunch of examples, but a really good one is that Christopher Nolan movie, Inception. Yeah. So think about it. Like, that is a straight-up movie and nothing else. But so much of the way that story is structured is structured mm-hmm. as if it were a game. That's a great, great point. And right? I mean, there's an architect, yeah. quotes, which you could replace with designer, game designer. And, you know, she builds these levels and the characters have to enter and go through the levels to get the thing. And reality is very confusing. And That's you don't so know wild. Yeah. That. I mean, in the, the New Yorker even wrote a story called Christopher Nolan's Games. And it talks about how most of his movies are better understood as games than his movies. Mm-mm-mm. I'm going to I'm going to I'm going to go back and look at some of them now, like through yeah. that lens. It makes a lot of sense, especially with that movie. And man, that did a great job of pulling in the audience and kind of having them almost feel like they're a part of it. You know, is yeah. the top going to stop spinning? Is it not? <laughs> you yep. know what I mean? Like it really totally. messed with your psyche, the whole thing. Like, wait, what le- what level are we? on right now yeah um, or like even like batman and joker are kind of playing two different games and that's mm-hmm. why joker is winning because he's playing a different game than batman is yeah you know and yeah so it's a that's a real rabbit hole yeah i love it wants to get on the internet we and go could nuts. definitely nerd out about that <laughs> what did Nerds. you tell me the other day about um the the ancient art of storytelling in games 
Oh, yeah. We were just, it's funny, actually, to tell you the truth, I never thought of it myself until you and I talked about it. So I'm I'm glad we had that chat. I was like, hey. Um, But what's interesting about is that stories, people have been telling stories and people have been playing games the same amount of time. Or let me try and put it better. Like, people have been doing both things for millennia. Like, yeah, since the beginning know, of time, basically. Since, since the beginning since, of since time. Since, like, the cognitive revolution when we started being able to, like, communicate better than apes, yes, right? Um, exactly. That's what separated us. But, like, why do you think people inherently or innately love games so much? I know why they love stories, and I think a lot mm-hmm. of the listeners are starting to to learn why. But why games? Well, you know, in a lot of ways, the, the things that I think are similar between stories and games is that we use both of them to make sense of what's to make sense of the world. Oh, yeah. Right? Like yeah. games are have rules and systems. And mm-hmm. if you can master those rules and those systems, you can win. Mm-hmm. And so much of what we do in the world is a game. You know, I mean, anything that involves like measure, anything measurable yeah. or anything that follows a rule or, or whatever. Um, politics can really be seen as games. I mean, I don't just mean like, you know, office politics, but like literally, you know, the political system oh, is yeah. a, it's designed as a game. Um, and yeah, so in ways big and small, it's part of how we think. Yeah. I mean, with the political, uh, metaphor or whatever, I mean, it's, I mean, you can picture mm-hmm. it like a chessboard. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know exactly. what I mean? Like all the different piece totally. chess pieces that go into our political landscape and, and, and structure. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah, uh, that's really interesting. I like sports, that. you know. <clears throat> oh, for sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah, I think that I think there's a there's a there's a natural connection between um, uh, taking action and wanting the actions we take to be meaningful, and that's where both stories and games come together. And also, do you think that it allows people that games? It seems to me that like stories, games give people this point of connection right like we're mm-hmm. linked right now i know that stories have the ability to do that and create empathy and also just connect people on a neurological level but i think when you're when you're engaging in a game with someone whether they're like on your team or they're the opposition mm-hmm. there is this sort of like connection right do you think that's another reason why we're just kind of attracted to it on more of a like psychological basis yeah i mean i think that games you know it's, it's, it's you know it's funny. Like when I was growing up, like I wouldn't consider myself what's a stereotypical gamer. Sure. Um, but I've been working in games forever. So I really want to try to be a a voice for like what's possible in games, especially for people who are like, I don't get it. Games. (laughs) eh, Right. Right. Like there's the, there's the current state of games Uh and then there's the potential of games. Oh yeah. 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 Right. Two different things. Like whatever games are going to evolve into, they'll be, they'll be called something else probably, Mm -hmm. you know, like, um, because they're going to become bigger than what we think of as games now. But yeah, games are great for all kinds of like really important uh, emotional experiences. Mm-hmm. Like for one thing, you know, what's, what's great about games is that, especially for telling stories, there's nothing more empowering than a game. You know, I mean, games make you feel like anything is possible because it is anything is possible. You can fly to the moon, you know, you can yeah. leap a building with it in a single bound. And, um, and there's something really exhilarating about leaving the reality you're in behind and entering a different kind of reality. Like, I'll give you a really strange example. I have worked on some um, first-person shooters and um, 
and you know the way those games are designed all the other the non-player characters everyone in the game looks right at the camera as if they're looking at you and i remember working on far cry 2 and in that game you're like a mercenary in africa and um all dudes as far as the eye can see (laughs) you're a dude and they're all dudes and as a woman playing it, it was really eye-opening to see men look at me with this, like, very different kind of energy, you know, like, challenging energy, like, it's, you know, are we going to go, buddy? Oh. <laughs> you know? Or, and then one of the mechanics in the game was, like, your status would shift. You'd either become a high-status person or a low-status person. So that was really interesting, you know, like, all the guys would lower their eyes when you passed if you were high-status. But if you were low-status, they'd kind of enter your space and... They were like, they'd square up and, you know, these are all experiences as a woman I'd never had before. And I was like, wow, like they can be amazing empathy machines. Mm. Like really, really interesting. You get to literally walk a mile in someone else's shoes, which is amazing. That is amazing. What other things are you, are you only in the video game space right now? Or are you, where else are you using your storytelling expertise? So yeah, I'm doing a little. teaching uh, the kids. Yeah, teaching the kids, uh, corrupting the youth. You know, I got that on my list. Um, You know, and I'm also branching out into all kinds of storytelling. I've done, um, I've done some consulting work with Netflix. Okay, they're very interested in figuring this stuff out. Yeah, I have. Yeah, I've done some work in theater. I did some work with actually the Shakespeare Company. That's awesome. uh, On Hamlet, yeah, bringing some interactivity into Hamlet. That's another podcast. Um, but you know what I'm really excited about is I'm going to be teaching actually a masterclass in the fall where it's going to be geared towards, um, screenwriters and television writers that are interested in learning how to write for games. Awesome. Yeah. Yeah. I think there may be, uh, a migration there. Well, yeah. Because the demand is rising like crazy. Totally. I mean, you can imagine sort of three different groups of people. There's the, there's the audience Mm -hmm. right who like plays games watches tv reads books kind of has their their expect their quality level expectations set pretty high they want the stories they see in the games to be as good as anywhere else right then you've got this industry which is minting money um full of people who like want to push the medium forward and they recognize that story is a place where a lot of innovation is possible Mm -hmm. and then you've got this like group of like trained professional writers who are like i'm interested in that i'm (laughs) i grew up with games you know and i i don't my my first love is storytelling but i i'd be interested to see if there's something i could do in games um you know and the only thing that's missing really is just some awareness um about how the medium works i mean the challenge that studios run into is that they they want writers, but it's hard to find writers that really understand the medium. Yeah, you'd have to, right? Like I'm I'm sitting yeah. here thinking as you're talking, I'm like, well, I can write a movie, like, or, or or and I understand the structure of like a book or or, or whatever, but it's like, yeah, you got to know you you yeah. got to know your platform there, and so I think that would be a a little bit of a barrier to entry but once they can navigate that and cross that bridge then mm-hmm. i think there will be that migration but yeah that's my hope right i mean mm-hmm. it's like in the 1940s when like hollywood was like we need real writers and they yeah. hired a bunch of novelists and mm-hmm. you know god love them <laughs> a novel's not a screenplay not you know and by the same measure a screenplay is not a not an interactive story so um you know, the good news is trained writers are more than halfway there. I mean, the fundamentals apply. A story yeah. is a story is a story. Sure. But, you know, all the only part that's missing is like, here's how this medium bends the rules of storytelling. Here's 
here's how games are changing the way stories are told. Here's the playground. Here are the here are the tools. You know, go forth and prosper. What's some of the simple differences? Like if I were coming, just starting, it's like, you know what, Susan, I'm kind of thinking about, like, I see the opportunity here. I got a friend that has a video game company. Mm-hmm. You know, what are like three bullet points? You're like, look, think about this. You know writing, you'll be okay. But if you want to navigate this wilderness and kind of make it somewhat yep. quickly, think about this, think about that, think about this. Yeah. Okay, let's see. I'm on the spot. Um, first one is you have to share the story with the player. Mm-hmm. Right. So that's a that is a really big and, one. And, and, and how do you train like how do you train yourself to to do that? Like, how do you yeah. think of that? Like. If I, you know, where do you I don't even know where yeah, you start. I know exactly. <laughs> it's like breaks the brain right out of the I know. Well, is you it, know, is it thinking me, about giving them. All right. So like, let's go back yeah. to, to Bandersnatch. Sorry, sorry to interrupt. But like yeah, they yeah. basically gave you two, like two, two or three options. All right. Right mm-hmm. here, we're at a pivotal choice decision point. Yeah. Does Greg decide to do? Do we want to see him chase after you know the the, the criminal or go hide or whatever? Right. right? And you would make right. you would make that 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 choice. Is it thinking about those moments and thinking of the fork in the road or something? So that is so that's kind of step two. Okay. Okay. I would say. I'm jumping like ahead. Step, no, no, no. It's good. But see, this is I love talking about this because it's really about figuring out kind of the framework that we use to approach these problems. Yeah. Yeah. You know, yeah. like you got to ask the right, this is, I've done this the hard way. Like I've got to ask the right questions to get the right answers. Mm-hmm. Like it's really about the questions. Right. Um, so you're on the right track, mm-hmm. but, and I, I used to take the exact same approach and I mean, I ship games with that approach and then they came out and I was like, Ooh, they were okay, but they could have been better. How, right. what did I miss? What did I not do? Yeah. And so like it was a process of going back and back and back. And so the problem is, at least the way I framed it, the challenge is, you know, it didn't matter how good the story was. The player was still going to do whatever he wanted to do. Mm-hmm. Right. So cause my initial idea was like, if I just write it well enough, they'll just be totally seduced by my story <laughs> and charmed and just, you know, like, like I feel like I watch a movie, like they're going to fall in love with this game story. They're just not going to because the medium is designed to get you to be active. Mm-hmm. So I was like, OK, so the, the player's going to do whatever he wants to do. Uh, I don't know who the player is. Every player is different. This is really a mind twist. So what do I do? Um, and it's funny. The, the example I give to explain it is, uh, have you ever seen the movie Point Break? Uh, yes. Okay. Very yes. familiar. Very classic. So have you heard of Point Break Live? Uh, no. Okay. It is extremely awesome. Okay. So there is a theater group in California. This has been running for decades. I'm assuming it's still going. And they put on a stage performance of Point Break like word for word, um, with the, and the twist is that the role of Keanu Reeves is played by someone who is picked at random from the audience that <laughs> night. <laughs> oh my God, I've got to see it. <laughs> which, which Keanu Reeves totally hates, I hear, because of course it's a little bit of a dig on him because yeah. he doesn't really do that much acting in the play <sighs> or in the movie. But like you could like that's the game story in a nutshell, right? Like who's oh going to be God. Keanu Reeves today? Who knows? What are they going to do? Who knows? Um, it's improv. It's improv. It's totally improv. So so I'll give you it. I'll try to make it quick. But here's how I solve that problem of like, how do you share a story with the player? Mm-hmm. And the answer that I came up with is this. There's we assume, like for years, I just assumed that, well, if the player is driving the game, then the player is also driving the story. 
Mm-hmm. It just, that made sense to me. Yes. Like that must be the case. But it's actually not the case. Okay. Because, so now we're going to get into this nerdy writerly Let's stuff. Let's do it. So, you know, if, a, if your protagonist in a story is the one who's got the strongest desire line, mm-hmm. right? Yes. He's the one or she's the one who's like, I will get what I want or die trying. Uh-huh. And then you look at a player and you ask them, like, what do they care about as they play the game? What they're, what they're motivated by is playing the game. I want to finish the game. The game is what I care about. The story is just like a tool they're using along with the mechanics and the weapons and things to advance the gameplay. So they never, they never get invested in the story the same way an actor would get invested in a role. Right. Right? They know it's a game. I mean, once you're past the age of four, you know it's not real. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> right? So you can tell me all you want about my lady love, you know, who's been kidnapped. I'm like, okay, lady love. I'm not married, but whatever, dude. Right? Like, <laughs> so if you have a if you have a, a character who's not super motivated, who, whose desire line is kind of weak when it comes to the story, they're not the protagonist. Right. Right. Mm-hmm. But but everybody, all the other characters in the game, like for them, it is life or death. Mm-hmm. Right. Yes. They don't know they're in a game. Right. Right. It's like Tron. Like they're yeah. trapped in the machine. And so those are like those are the writer's characters. Those are the ones the writers can really work with. Got it. Got it. Right. Mm-hmm. And so you can create a story where where like the player's got a role to play. Right. And this is just this is just a magic trick that the writers do. The player is not aware of this. Right. But the player is experiencing a story and he's in it, but he's not driving it. Yeah. Okay. Makes sense. Yeah, totally makes sense. It's like you have to unlearn what you've learned, though, for sure. You're like, oh, okay. And then once you figure out how to do it, then you can have some fun with it. Right. Exactly. And that's why I'm so excited about teaching a class, because when you get hired to write for a project, a game, you know, you're kind of on the spot, like you're supposed to be able to do it like right then. But some of the stuff, you just need a little time to unpack it and test it out and analyze it. I mean, that's where that's where class can be really helpful. Like take a time out. Let's unlearn a few things. Right. Let's let's see things with new set of eyes, basically. And then when you're out, it's like you just. I don't know. You get it. You know how to, you know, Kung Fu. Yeah. That's super, that's super cool. Yeah. It's amazing. I mean, it goes from, it goes from the idea of games being an impossible place to tell stories and it turns it into a place where like you can tell stories like you can't anywhere else. Yeah. It's like endless. Like there's, yeah. you know, you're not, it doesn't seem as limited by no, being attached exactly. to that like protagonist. And I mean, again, these are just natural growing pains of every medium. I mean, for decades, films tried, or, you know, for years, films tried to be like theater. Yeah. Yeah. And people were like, this sucks. I'd rather just go to the theater. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) It's a really interesting time that we're in because we're, we're, we're at that point where it's changing. Mm -hmm. You know, video games have been around for, for decades as well, but it's like, this is, this is the moment right now. Like within 10 years from now, it's going to be really interesting to see where we are in it because it's it's shifting majorly and you know what's really exciting is that people who are who are who want to get into this like they're the ones who are going to really shape this medium Mm -hmm. like they're the ones who are really going to be innovating and defining what's possible and like it's a really exciting time to to be in it do you see yourself in this in this space for for a while you seem to really enjoy it well you know what i love honestly is i love teaching 
Yeah. I mean, I'm really excited about the potential of this. Mm -hmm. And what I really want to do is give people, other people the tools to go forward to spend the next 15 or 20 years doing this or however long they want to do it. Um, I think that, you know, I love, I love writing, but I have learned that I, I think I love teaching even more. Yeah. And that way too, you, you get to play a role in changing the face of the, you know, the video game writer or storyteller, yeah. right? If you you're telling me you've got half your classes are women mm-hmm. and women coming from different backgrounds, then then you can kind of like you know grow that that next that next generation that next class. I think that would be really exciting, right? Because then you Heck have like yeah. a bigger a bigger effect on the industry as a whole, right? Than one person could ever do themselves. Yeah. I mean, lots of people with lots of different voices, different genders, different, you know, sexual orientations, different whatever. Like, mm-hmm. we just need more voices in the room. And this is the way to invite them in. Have Have you had any experience with, like, VR? Yeah, I have, actually. I did a project. Um, yeah, VR is interesting. Text tech's crazy in it general really you know, nuts. and and a lot of my uh, uh, uh colleagues and and peers are starting to to do films in that space and i haven't touched uh, it because i'm kind of a dummy so it come, you know i keep it very very simple i'm just a documentary filmmaker i just you know capture what's what's out there right. uh, happening find good stories and then you know and then mm-hmm. just capture them on camera but I'd, yeah. I'm interested to learn more about it, but because it seems very foreign to me and, and a new space. I didn't know if you had any experience with that. Yeah, it's very, it's very different. Like the, so the way that I approach games in general and with which I even include VR is like, cause you, you, you're always working with the medium. So I'm always asking myself like, what's the player experience? What's the user experience going to be like? What's the emotional journey of just the game yes like story aside like just what stuff are we doing and how does that stuff make us feel right because because actions have built-in emotions right so if i'm punching that's just going to make me feel differently than if i do if i'm hugging somebody just you know even if i don't know who i'm hugging or i'm punching right right right. so so when vr is interesting to me and i have mixed feelings about it i actually think ar has got a lot more potential than vr I think that as 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 monkeys, we just don't want to put a, a, a iPhone over our face. Yeah. We don't want to be blindfolded when we're around other human beings in the room. Yeah, it's just too weird. I just yeah. don't think we're wired that way. But AR seems really interesting. Yeah. But but storytelling for VR, the the big takeaway for me about it was that knowing that the player's role is always going to be some version of Casper the Friendly Ghost. Like you're a ghost. Like you're there, but you're not there. And you don't have the capability to do a whole lot with the environment. Yeah. And so you've just got to figure out a way to like invite the ghost in. <laughs> if that makes any sense, like get the ghost interested in what you need the ghost to be interested in. So they pay attention. They're looking in the right direction gotcha. and that kind of thing. And again, if players just do what they're going to do, then how do you sort of factor in? Yeah. Uh, behavior you, you know what's funny as we're talking about all this and we're talking about the the newest you know tech to tell stories that, that we've had um but it still keeps coming back to putting yourself in the minds of the audience that empathy yeah. like to tell the best stories right mm-hmm. is to consider the person that you're telling you know it's not about you it's about them and then when right and when i'm yeah. when i'm teaching people how to tell stories that's one of the first especially cuz a lot of the people i teach are are marketers or or communicators and so it's how do we use storytelling in mm-hmm. our branding 
And it's funny because even though we're in these high-tech tools, the core of it is the same, which is about putting yourself in someone else's shoes and thinking about how they would like to hear the story and what stories they would like to hear, what's going to resonate with them, right? It's all that kind of empathy. You've said that multiple times, like thinking about the user experience. And so Mm -hmm. you have to unlearn what you knew before as a storyteller because you got to think about what's the motivation of the game, the gamer. It's not to be the protagonist in this great story and follow along this arc. It's just to be there and to win, you know? So we keep coming back to the, to the original issue with stories and games, right? Which is all about that. Yeah. I think it's just about, it's about psychology. I mean, if someone is deeply interested in what makes people tick, this, this is just being a storyteller period and being a storyteller in games is just like a playground like no other because people really show who they are when they play. They don't, yeah. they, they, they drop whatever mask they might've had on before and they kind of lose themselves and they just sort of get caught up in the moment. And, you know, it's kind of beautiful. I mean, it's really amazing to see how people are just hardwired in certain ways. And, you know, I don't know. It's, it's incredible. I mean, games get a bad rap they for people totally. who don't play games. And, right. you know, honestly, it's a well-earned reputation. I mean, that's not totally wrong. I mean, <laughs> there is some stuff and, you know, there, there are types of games I just won't work on. I'm just like, yeah. I can't, I yeah. can't put that stuff out in the world and I, I'm not okay with it. Um, but underneath that bad rap, um, there's just so much creativity going on and so much potential and so much exploding variety because with indie games now, you're not limited to just working on like AAA blockbusters that, you know, are just Call right. of Duty Part 27, you yeah. know, like there'll always be a market for that. But there's there's markets for other things, too, for different kinds of experiences for different kinds totally. of audiences. And and the more people like you educate more people to tell these stories and how to do it effectively that work for the gamers, mm-hmm. it will change just like movies did, you know, just, yes. like, just like everything. That, I love that point about you know, kind of like the indie, the indie games coming yeah. out and not, and not just like the big action. That's a really good point because yeah. as it's, as people start to understand what we can do with this medium, there will be like nerdy little video game stories that people enjoy, you know, people that like, like you and mm-hmm. I would enjoy and it doesn't have to be like sports or like right. you said, a, uh, um, uh, what do you call the shooter games? Um, oh, first, first person, person shooter. shooter. Yeah. Yeah. Um, that's going to be a really cool, a really cool um, transition to see, to see yeah. what kind of stories pop up. I think so too. And like I said, you know, people are going to start making stuff that no one's seen before. That's what's so exciting. You know, like when you've got a room full of like trained storytellers thinking about this whole medium in a new kind of way, mm-hmm. like, you know, the sky's the limit. It's going to be like when they were starting Pixar. Yeah. Like, oh, here's a whole new way that we can approach animation and tell tell these stories. And at first, everybody's like, "What? What is this? This is not you know." You're always right. going to have those like speed bumps, but yeah. then when they figure out how to really utilize the medium and the platform, it can be dangerous. I know. I know. It's exciting. I'm, I can't wait to see what happens. <laughs> um, and so you'll you'll be teaching uh, you'll be teaching for a while. You think? Uh, I think so. You know, I'm kind of doing it in different areas. I mean, I'm doing you know teaching undergraduates over here on campus and this master class I'm really excited about. I'm launching it in the fall and it just, oh my God. It's Do you know be, when that's coming out? Sure. Yeah, it's going to start in September. Okay. And it's going to be, it's going to be a really great experience. I'm involving a lot of my colleagues from the industry. So, uh, students are going to be working directly with like different narrative designers and game directors at different studios. And 
it's just going to be a chance to, you know, to, to just master a craft, you know, and, uh, see what's out there and see what's possible. And it's not just going to be this, like I said, not just the students talking to each other. It'll be the students talking to the practitioners. It's going to be an awesome opportunity, I think, for for the right person. We'll be sure to uh, to to put that and the links to that in the show notes when uh, when yes, you have that. Please where, do. Where else can can people see the stuff that you've done or the stuff that you're working on? Yeah. So you can find me at uh, you know, my website's a little bit of a mouthful, but you can find me at susanoconnorwriter.com. Got it. A little bit of a mouthful, and people tend to forget my name and call me Sarah. Well, have we talked about this, I think. I don't Did think we? so. No. Okay. <laughs> So people meet me and they're like, blah, blah, blah. Hey, Sarah. And this went on for years. I couldn't figure out why. And then I was like, oh, oh I'm with it. <laughs> you got it. Sarah Connor. <laughs> That's hilarious. Oh, you can't. So, yeah. I, I think you'll probably, Yeah, you're going to have to probably put the link to my website in the, yeah, in yeah, the notes because sure people are going to type in Sarah Connor and be like, wait, where is she? This isn't it. That's Linda Hamilton. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> I mean, if you're going to get mistaken for somebody, that's a pretty cool person to get mistaken yes. for. <laughs> uh, for those that are listening that are uh, too young to understand that reference, that's from the original Terminators 1 and 2, 84 and 91. Oh, my God. Help. Yeah. How can it be that long ago? I can't believe it. Oh, I know. I was a kid. I was just mm-hmm. a little kid. You still are, man. Yeah. I feel that way, right? I feel Me 20. Too. Totally. <laughs> All right. Uh, thank you so much. Um for coming on i mean you are awesome you're a blast and awesome. i think that we could talk about a lot of different things and we'll have you back on sometime and and chat about storytelling and all that stuff that we love yeah man it's my favorite topic i had such a good time today thank yeah, you so much me too thank you sarah awesome. <laughs> <laughs> oh i cut right there sorry oh, that, was, that was awesome. that opportunity was uh it was, was too, too golden <laughs> Hey man, I teed it up. You did. You, you know, did. you had to hit it. I knocked it out. Uh, <laughs> seriously, thank you so much. That was that was fun. And uh, okay. yeah, and I mean, it's funny because a lot of these uh, podcasts that I do, it's it's so selfish in nature. Like I I want to learn from people, so a lot of the questions are just like literally ones that I want the answer to <laughs> and I'm interested in. And this was definitely one of those episodes because that is new to me, but. You dropped some jewels. Like, I love, like, that part. I had to work through it. I, I don't know if you saw me, but I'm, like, listening in, yeah, intensely. Yeah. And then when you finally said that point, or if I finally understood it about, you know, you're not writing for them as the protagonist, it really yeah, clicked. Yeah. And then I could start to see the all the opportunities, you know, to, to play with yeah. that. And it's almost like, it's almost like a freeing or liberating and you totally. might have said that word, but I see it how, okay, if I'm not chained to this character and I can play with all these other characters and just give this person a world, I'm just yep. a, creating a world. That's really yeah. cool. That's really cool. I hadn't thought about that ever, and that, that explained it so well. So, uh, Well, yeah. and to be honest, I think a lot of people working in games don't think about it that way. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> there's, there's these different levels of like, you know, most people that work in games don't have a storytelling background. Yeah. So yeah, they're I not bet. doing what you and I are doing. They're not nerding out about it. Like, right. hey, let's figure this do out, you, man. Do you, you know? Uh, do you consult for video game companies for their writers? Yeah, okay, good. I do. That's, that's yeah, definitely a I, gap you could fill. I know. I yeah. think so. And I think whatever you're like, charging, jack those rates up. 
because uh, <laughs> those people are making money. I do have a buddy who, who owns, I forget what company it is, but he's an entrepreneur and he's been in various businesses, but now he's in the video game space and he's, he's mm-hmm. kind of a mentor of mine. And, uh, and so I hear about the business side of that quite a bit and it's just, it's a good, it's a good landscape to be in right now. Yeah. No, yeah, no. it can be, you no. know, and that's, that's kind of why I'm teaching this class because good for you. The, the thing about the, the class, it's not just going to be a class. It's also going to be one of these things where like the students who like pass the final or finish the class, I'm going to be introducing them to my colleagues in the industry. Like they, I love all it. my colleagues know about it. I mean, I've already asked them like, Hey, if I had some professional writers that I trained, would you be interested in meeting them for a future writing gig? This is amazing. I think so, you're going um, to really make impact here. And that, and that's what, that's what counts. No, that's awesome. I'm with yeah, you. I'm pretty psyched yeah. to help a bunch sh- of writers, man. You like, should be. It's amazing. It. It's amazing. I love it. Thank you so much for, for chatting with me. And, and honestly, this is going to sound cheesy as hell, but thank you for like what you're doing because like it, affecting change on a grander scale. I mean, that's what it's about, right? Like we yeah. can really do, but so much ourselves yep. and I'm have dedicated my life to trying to make that ripple effect with people in yeah. what I do. And uh, I think that's, that's all. That's amazing. I'm out of here. Well, listen, I appreciate I, you. I you. Thank you so much. I'm, rounds on me. <laughs> Sounds good. <laughs> all right, man. All right. See ya. Take it easy. Bye-bye. Okay, bye. up what was that boring no flavor that was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week kiki palmer here and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free hello fresh jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. now that's music to my mouth hello fresh let's get this dinner party started discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com planning for your next trip Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 